From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to be on this show. You? Yeah, me too. It's funny, you know, we mentioned that we're uh, taking a slight turn and we're going to be talking about different things uh, in the podcast. And literally yeah. episode one for our next season was on Kotlin coroutines. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do something different. By the way, here's some more Android. I know. <laughs> but it's funny because that's the thing that we want. I mean, I don't know. We've mm. been, that's been like a highly requested topic for a long time. But me and you, we originally wanted to do it ourselves. And we're, but me and you both felt like we're such RX heads that, it's like didn't make any sense for us to do it because we had no need to go to coroutines yet. Yeah, and I mean inherently that would have brought some bias in our opinions, which is why I think it was great to have like, you know, uh, both of those uh, dudes online because yeah, they definitely have a much better <laughs> their wealth of coroutine knowledge tends to be much more than ours. It so, is, yeah. But no, it's good. A uh, very, very popular show. So thank you, folks, for for listening. But today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different, as you can tell from the title of the show. And I tell you the truth, I'm uh, I'm really excited to talk about something like this different than normal because it's kind of talks about what we deal with on a non-Android day, which is kind of almost every day, almost because we're doing <laughs> multiple things. But uh, it's exciting to finally like kind of branch out and be able to kind of talk about everything because we might talk about Android and then we'll loop in something else, et cetera. 100%. Uh, so this thing, Don, today what I want to talk to you is like a mishmash of multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and primarily it, I think, would in the end boil down to basically Docker. Yeah. Docker is something that I know you've dealt extensively with. I've dabbled with it now and then in the early day. I mean, so in my mind, I understand what Docker is, and I'm sure a lot of developers out there are in a very similar boat. I haven't actually gotten to use Docker in any material fashion, you know, which is why in my mind there was always this concept. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, you know, containers, yeah, 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 makes spin up an environment <laughs> right. easy, you know, and that's how it works. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so recently, I ran into. Uh, a situation where I had to actually work with Docker and spin up like my own sort of container and like uh, and I might be using the wrong terms here and this is why we have Don because Don has dealt with this much more than me. But let me paint some context as to how I got into all of this. Yeah, perfect. So uh, we both have blogs uh, for yeah. those who don't know. Mine is at blog.couch.co. Uh, where's your blog at, Don? Donfilker.com. Boom. Nice and simple. <laughs> that's that's uh, pretty unique, right? So, yeah, that is that's, pretty, it's easy to remember. It is, it is, it is. Uh, by the way, this is like probably for another episode, but if you go to 2kg.dev, uh, you'll also go to my is website. Is that work safe? <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> I made sure oh, it was work oh. safe. Like, you know, <laughs> like the, num- the number 2kg? Yeah, the number 2kg.dev. Okay. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at that. It's okay, like I'll, magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> that's kind of cool. I know. I've, I have an unhealthy obsession with domain names, so that's that's for a different episode. 
Dude, so no, anyway, I think that, yeah. I don't even know if that's for a different episode. I think that needs to be handled right now because that's something that, like, I think every single person who's listening to this right now has like forty-seven domain names sitting in their like domain account <laughs> or multiple different domain accounts because one time you couldn't buy an IO domain on like Namecheap. You had to go to some crazy <laughs> domain registrar, which I have done. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got like these other ones over in like a different country because you couldn't buy a domain there, and you had to buy it in that country's domain place, and it's just a nightmare. And maybe you bought one at one point in time because it was open to buy it but now because you're not a resident you have this weird domain name in you know kazakhstan that you can't use because you're not a you know you know what i mean because you yeah. built these oh, weird yeah. words anyway it sounds like you've been down that road yes and here's the one thing i want to say about it <laughs> mm-hmm. if you have a bunch of domain names and you have a bunch of side projects take a domain name and build a side project off of it just just do it like whatever it's called it could be called you know dogfish i don't know and uh <laughs> just build something and use the domain name and if it doesn't work then just sell it or just you know shut it down it doesn't you know that's how that's how caster got here you know that oh wow that's crazy i didn't know that you just like bought the domain and you're like you know what that would be a good website to have uh, uh android high quality android screencasts Maybe one day, I bought and then boom. The domain, yeah, when .io, which is for those that don't know, .io stands for Indian Ocean. Um, <laughs> I mm-hmm. bought the .io domain as soon as they were available for folks in the U.S. to buy, and um, I bought it. And I was at Castor.io, and at the time, I was going to be building a uh, automated telecom company based upon um, like collections and stuff like that to help automate a bunch of uh, stuff for big companies. Wow. And that's what I was going to use Caster.io for. That was just a random name. It, it meant nothing to me. It was just Caster. Cool. It's generic. And I, I ran with it. And then I never ended up building it. And I was like, well, what can I use this domain for? And I was like, oh, Cast, like Screencast. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. I'll use that. Here we are. <laughs> Damn. So the lesson anyway. is hold on to your domains for as long as possible because one day they'll yeah. come in useful. No? Yeah, hopefully. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, yours is useful now because it, it goes to your blog. Anyway. Yeah. There we go. What are some crazy domain names you have? I have uh, crazy? I don't know, man. I've t- I'll take like, a, like one of my favorite. Oh, this is a good like divergence here. One of my favorite things uh, to do is uh, when I'm kind of just thinking of different business names or whatever, mm-hmm. is I'll go on like Domainer. Have you ever used Domainer? Oh, no. Domainer. Interesting. So, Domainer. It's, uh, so it's the word domain. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the letter R at the end, and you go domainer. It's, it's domainer.com, but uh-huh. it used to be domain. So domain, uh-huh. and then the dot nr was the domain name, was dot uh, nr, but it's actually just the word domain plus the letter R, domainer.com, and then wow. you can search up something. I see this. Yeah, wow. And so that's what I like to use because it's really fast um, to look up domain names. And then another one is, uh, I think it's Lean. I mean, look it up real time here. Oh, wow. This Lean. thing is crazy fast. I'm just trying it now. And oh. Yeah. <laughs> the other one nice. is Lean, uh, leandomainsearch.com. Lean Domain Search. Oh, yeah. I see it in the suggestions. So you can put in the word mm-hmm. cow. Just type in the word cow and hit enter. And it will give you a whole bunch of of words that are available with the word cow in it, like cow Whoa. engine, cow, yeah, cow fix, see. full cow, cow advisor, like I need advisors for my cow. Um, <laughs> cow vault, if you keep a lot of cows. Cow zen, if you want to make your cows happy. Mm-hmm. So there anyway, these are, I'll use these to find just random names. And so I have like, for example, I own samples.io, which if anybody wants that, let me know and we'll, figure something out Ooh, um, samples that's pretty good so that's i'll just cool. grab a bunch of random names and like um 
I'm not going to give away all my secrets, but I have a bunch of them lying around in my domain account, which I use Namecheap for everything now. Who do you use? Oh, I'm I'm big on Google domains. As much as I don't approve of like Google's, you know, world domination, etc. Like their Google domains is a nice product. Is it? So, I've never tried it. Oh yeah, it's it's fantastic. So I can tell you, I have for anyone who wants your coupons info that domain actually just got deleted yesterday. So never mind. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got some like funky ones too. Um, I've got kilogram page. I've got. 3mw.page that one is like something one oh, day yeah I, f- I forgot i got a good domain yeah i forgot that one mm-hmm. i got one called giftstagram oh that's pretty good yeah, so I, Instagram. yeah giftstagram i i built something for it I, I haven't released it yet but i have to put some polish on it and uh mm. it does something kind of cool but right. yeah that was a good when i found that one that one was a good domain <laughs> All right. So anyway, coming back to where we were. <laughs> I know. See, well, folks, this is what happens. I know. Tangent max. Yeah. So anyway, if you go to donfelker.com or you go to my website, uh, my blog, you'll notice that we actually host our own website. So we don't uh, we don't use something like Medium. Uh, that's not where our blog's at. And I, I mean, you actually, we, we should also mention this. In the early days, I was contemplating between between having hosting my own blog, uh, you know, using mm. something like WordPress or Jekyll, mm-hmm. one of the static website generators, or going with Medium, which at the time, like, people forget this. Now there's, I know there's like a lot of universal hate towards Medium, but about a year back or even like two years back, Medium was the place to go for all your blogs. And it is mm-hmm. in many ways also, right? Because they've just got the lion's share of like social sharing, etc. Mm-hmm. But I remember having this conversation with you and you specifically mentioned that, nope, you should definitely be doing your own thing. Do not go to Medium. And like you were like all blaring red sirens saying, no, don't go on to Medium. So that was yep. pretty prescient of you. Yeah, I did that. I got a lot of flack for it. A lot of people pushed back on it, like saying like, no, this is the where to go. And my whole, this is the saying that I didn't create, but somebody else said, and I don't know who said it, but if, if you do mm-hmm. let us know, it's uh, if you if, if you don't purchase the product, you know, if you don't pay for a product, then you are the product. Mm. so that's what happens at uh, medium and then if you depend on the platform you live and die by the platform so whatever they decide to do like you you have your hands tied like how many times do you go to a medium article now and now for me every mm. single time i get a pop-up that says blah 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 join <laughs> log into medium and i just want to put my fist through the computer screen <laughs> like, i don't care about that i'm here to read content not like upsell me on stuff like drives me nuts now, mm-hmm. Medium is fantastic for the reading experience is great, the content development experience is great, and the recommendation engine is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Those things are great. I just hate everything else about it. I know, and especially these days, it's like horrible. Like especially if you open up a Medium blog on mm-hmm. your phone, it's impossible to read it. There's like pop-ups all over the place. There's like, oh, a sign in here, oh, a sign in there. Oh, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, yeah, it, it is pretty frustrating. I think yeah. at this point, it is... Yeah, it's definitely like, the, and especially if you follow like a lot of folks on Twitter and uh, particularly like the, you know, the development crew, like a lot of people have just gone towards like hosting their own thing. Yeah. Uh, so what do you use? You use WordPress, right? Yeah, I've been a WordPress for, I don't know, 10 years now. Before that, I was on some .NET blogging platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been WordPress and, and I 
tend to just go with what works now mm -hmm. i am big on wordpress because it allows you a lot of plugins and a lot of functionality without having to do any coding so i'm kind of a big follower of the no code movement if i can do it without any mm -hmm. code i will uh, in fact, I bootstrapped Castor.io on WordPress for over two years. Yeah. Um, that was my big rule when I built Castor initially. It was like, Don, you're not allowed to write any code. There's a couple caveats to that that I did have to write a little bit, but that's here and there. For the website, I didn't have to write any code whatsoever. Wow, that's amazing. I, I remember this because fragmentedpodcast.com, which is our website, is also hosted mm -hmm. On yep. WordPress, for those who don't know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And initially, I remember having this conversation with you too, and I was like, ah, WordPress, I, I don't know, it doesn't sound as sexy. And, you know, being a developer, mm -hmm. it kind of is like, eh, should we really be doing this? And then you were pretty clear then too uh, with the whole idea of like, you know what, we shouldn't be spending that much time on this. We have enough as it is work getting the podcast and editing and doing it. We should just try to minimize the work here. Um, yeah. And to this day, it still runs. And, you know, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty solid. It so is. Far. And, you know, um, WordPress gets a lot of hate because it's like this older, it's not older. I mean, it's updated all the time. But mm -hmm. it's just, it. it's not new and flashy and shiny and all this stuff. And I get it. Trust me. Sometimes I look at my blog just this weekend. I was like, mm, maybe I'll go over to a different platform. Mm, <laughs> maybe I'm going to do this. Like, I yanked the comments off mine. I hate discuss. Like, I hate that, pl that comment uh, I, platform. I know. But it's the only one that, like, you can, like, reliably use for, like, your own blog, right? Yeah. And so I actually moved over to another. I'm trying another one called commenter.io. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Commento. .io. Mm -hmm. it's like it's five bucks a month but it's um it's not intrusive there's no ads um so i pay five bucks and i just it's easy don't know how well it's going to work but we'll see um but mm -hmm. where i'm getting at with this is like i wordpress just works i can then focus directly on what i need it for i have a blog to get my content out not to develop a blog Right, if I want to right. develop a blog, then I should go join, you know, the WordPress team or the Ghost team or or mm -hmm. Jekyll or or Gatsby or whatever these eight thousand mm -hmm. other ones are. Mm -hmm. So it's just to get the content out there, and um, and so if if you want to get content out there, I, I recommend you take uh, an existing blog platform and just roll with it, uh, and not develop your own, because then you're just going to get stuck in analysis paralysis, and we're never going to see your first blog. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I mean, for me, I went the other route though for. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've I've been blogging for some time now, and I've gone through multiple. I, I remember starting on Blogger, like you know the Google thing oh, in the yeah. early days. I started on Blogger. I then migrated to what was it at the time? I think I did go to WordPress, uh, and then from WordPress I went to this thing called Octopress. And yes, I remember uh, that. Yeah, Octopress is like a static uh, generation, a static website generation. So. Just to, for quick context for those who don't know, WordPress, a lot of these are hosted platforms. So when you run, it actually runs code, right? So it runs PHP mm -hmm. or it runs like different things. Uh, there was in, There's this movement now with blogs where they just generate static HTML websites and then just host that, right? And yeah. the mm -hmm. idea being uh, you won't get this, this term, I don't know if it's the same thing, you won't like get digged or you won't get fireballed, which is basically if for some reason your post mm -hmm. becomes really popular, we don't want your website going down because again, if it's like an application server, it's basically something that can potentially get DDoSed, right? But typically yep. with static generated websites, because it's just HTML and CSS, the World Wide Web has figured out how to serve that pretty well, you know? Uh, yep. So a lot of people have, like you mentioned some too, like Ghost, Octopress was one of the early ones that like became super popular, uh, which was based off of this thing called Jekyll. So I use Jekyll now. So I moved from Octopress to Jekyll. 
And you're absolutely right, Don. But for me, part of like maintaining the blog is I just love the process. It's like, you know, the little web development like I can do now and then. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I started out as a web uh, designer. Oh, well, web designer in the sense I used to do CSS, like, you know, HTML and CSS, web yeah. styling. That was basically what I used to do in the early days. So it just like yeah. reminds me a lot of those days. So if you go to my website, as simple as it might look, every single bit of that has been customized. Like, you know, every single bit, I kid you not. And part of, like, I get joy from doing that. And that's part of also why I have, like, my own blog. So anyway, long story short, I use Jekyll, which is, like, Mm -hmm. static website generator. And recently what happened is I thought, so the process for me is, like, for those who've used Jekyll, this will make sense. But basically, you write your post locally. You have a local web host that gets deployed and just runs the HTML. You can take a look at it, preview it. Okay, it looks good. What you do then is you compile, like you build your Jekyll website. So it regenerates the HTML, CSS, and all the funky stuff that you need to host a regular website these days. And then the next step would be for me to make sure that I've run down, like I have like this thing called HTML proofer. Uh, which basically tries to make sure that you don't have any broken links, your fav icon is like, okay. Uh, it's a pretty handy tool. I'll throw cool. I'll throw it in the show notes. So you can basically point to a directory and then it just runs through all the stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's like the second step, but I'm also like making sure it's almost like a like in the Android development world, the equivalent would be like linting. So it's like a static analysis check yeah. that happens. I do that. And then eventually I use, uh, I actually host. So the, uh, the actual website is hosted on Firebase. Uh, if you, I use Firebase hosting. So I have to use the Firebase's CLI tool to then deploy it. So there's like about like three steps. So every time I write a blog post, by the time it eventually reaches like my website, it's about like three steps, which typically doesn't take too long, but it is kind of tedious. But I'm sure that you probably have automated it with some scripts of some sort. Knowing <laughs> I, you, I, I I did. So I had like a script, but then again, it would run on my machine, and I was not happy with that, right? Okay. Because uh, obviously, I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to like just have it like run on some random server. So I had it all set up because like if you have if you deploy with Firebase, then you obviously have to have like your SSH keys. You have to have like a bunch of things set up in your local environment. Uh, well, you don't need yeah. SSH keys, but you need like obviously like your environment to be configured. And I don't want to like willingly have that running on like different laptops and machines, right? So I, I only had it running on my uh, my Mac Mini, which I use at home. So that's like the only server that has like the credentials. Yeah. But recently, like you know, it's along the same lines. I it reached a point where I was like, you know what, this is pretty repetitive. And if you think about it, as developers, this is basically what we do to deploy our apps too, right? Like you have a CI solution, like you deploy there and then you have CD, which basically, which is continuous distribution, right? You compile, you check if everything is okay, then you just like deploy it and serve it to your users, right? So yeah. I went down that path and and this isn't, and by the way, this isn't anything new. I'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of people who do this, but what I wanted to do is run this, all of this in like a, a CI server. So essentially what I do is I maintain like my entire blog in Git. Uh, so it's like versioned and, Everything's written in Markdown. So all of that part is easy. The desired workflow I wanted was I basically push to Git and that's it. And then from there, what happens is the CI basically picks up any new changes that have been, uh, any new posts that have been, that have gone to this uh, repo. It pulls it down. It runs the whole like 
build process like the Jekyll build process. It runs HTML proofer. If anything's broken, then it basically, you know, as you would expect from your CI, it sends you an email saying, hey, something's broken, go take mm-hmm. a look. And in that case, I would go back and then I would open up and then like, you know, do things manually. But if not, for the most part, if you have things set up and running, I'm just writing a markdown file, pushing something, and then it's done, right? So mm-hmm. what this CI server does is it, again, po- it pulls the, rep- uh, it hits the repo, pulls any new posts, runs Jekyll build, runs HTML proofer, thumbs up, everything looks good. Then it actually uses Firebase and then deploys it to Firebase hosting. So all I have to do is just git push, boom, and then I just walk out and it takes care of everything. So that's the ideal environment that I uh, wanted. Okay. How long did this all take you to set up, probably? Well, eventually, <laughs> it took me... So I, I did this over like uh, the vacations this time. I would say okay. it, eventually it took me about two and a half to three days. Okay. Uh, it should have been much easier because it is pretty straightforward. Like I run... Essentially, what I was doing is in uh, Circle... Uh, I decided to use Circle CI just because they have like a free tier and it was like simple. And I, I don't actually write as many blog posts where I would require anything that was like more pricier. So I was like, well, I'll just try it with CircleCI because it's pretty easy to configure CircleCI. So yeah. I tried it and I got to a certain point, but after a certain point, I kind of like hit a roadblock. So I CircleCI, and for those who have like not used CircleCI, it's, it's very similar, like especially they have the CircleCI 2.0 thing. And this is where like all the Docker thing comes in, right? So the way CircleCI works is it spins up an environment. And in this environment, you can have certain versions of you know, uh, your, your platform and so So for Jekyll, Jekyll is basically written entirely in Ruby. So you need like a Ruby version to be installed. Right? Yeah. Uh, yep. and, and then you also, when I started, when I used Firebase, the way you use Firebase is using Node, like the, at least the installation, right? Like, so you use NPM install. Firebase. On my home machine, I basically used Homebrew because uh, yeah. it's a Mac. But obviously, if you use CircleCI, these are like Linux boxes. So you can't exactly use like the Mac OS tools. So in mm-hmm. that case, I used NPM to install. Where it got tricky now is the Jekyll, like the, the blogging platform that I use, is very finicky in that it needs a very specific version of Ruby because I have a bunch of gems also installed. And if you don't have the right version of Ruby, so if it's like a 2.3 versus a 2.5 or 2.6, things don't work. Yep. Uh, yeah. They'll just like break, right? So I was like, ah, okay, fine. I'll try to find a, I'll find a Docker container because in Circle CI, you can basically point to a Docker container and say, okay, that's the environment I want, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is I could find a Ruby container with the same thing, but I couldn't find like a node container and like basically you want these docker containers to have things pre-installed right because uh, every time we have a new like every time you use an existing docker container and try to install your version of ruby or node you can do that but then obviously it takes way longer and then with circles here again you're charged with build times right and like how long it takes for like the build minutes so it's like a mm-hmm. complete waste also if you think about it you want an environment that has everything pre-packaged and ready and all you want to go over there and just do is run your commands, your precise com- uh, commands. Correct. So, I mean, we jumped into some things, but before that, we should probably talk about what Docker is because I'm pretty sure that's something that at this point people probably are aware, but 
yeah, I guess. So you were kind of just laying, but let me recap this here. It seems like what we were just talking about was kind of setting the foundation of like, kind of here's the problem that you're having is that mm-hmm. we have all these dependencies to build this, um, this blogging platform that you use. Uh, but if we get those dependencies wrong, uh, it can be a pain in the butt because it just things aren't going to work. They're going to crash. And it's different for you to set it up on your local environment, which could be Mac or Windows or even Linux uh, versus a, you know, a CI build, which is going to be probably most likely Linux somewhere in the cloud. Does that sound correctly? And you're having trouble managing all those dependencies and environments, right? That's precisely the problem. So when I got my Ruby version right, Jekyll was building, but then Firebase is really finicky with the Node version, like our NPM, uh, the Node version that was being used, right? So Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the right combination because if I found the right Node combination, I couldn't find the right Ruby combination. If I found the right Ruby combination, like the Node version was out of whack, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, that was basically the problem that I was in. And the way this works, like with Docker containers, essentially... What you're doing is you're saying point to this version. This, I think there's like multiple levels. The first level is like, okay, I want this version of Linux, this distro. You know, if I mm-hmm. wanted it like Red Hat or like Arch Linux or one of these things, that's like step one where you're like, okay, give me an instance of this box. And what uh, CircleCI internally uses is the way it uses Docker is it basically says, okay, I will quickly spin up this box with this version, right? So this is like a Docker container version. What I wanted is, so the next step is basically, yeah, you can point to like an OS version. You can point to a box that has like this specific Docker container version. But the next step is I also want some things pre-installed. And with Docker, what you can do is you can then say with these things pre-installed, freeze this version. Like, you know, it's like a snapshot of Mm -hmm. uh, the operating system at a specific point of time. Ideally, I would like a snapshot of like my environment, my local environment, but obviously my local environment was macOS, right? And typically with Docker, a lot of these work in like Linux. Uh, So I wanted a snapshot of that world. And to get that snapshot, because I haven't like obviously worked with Docker as much, it was kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, There are like, if you, so if you go to hub.docker.com, you'll find that you can more or less find a lot of these versions. What people have done is it's almost like, you know, an op- well, I don't know if it's open source. I don't want to comment on that, but it's basically like this repository of different containers. So people can like say, hey, I have different like versions of Docker containers and they have all kinds of things installed, right? It's not just Ruby. Yep. You could have like Python versions. Postgres, Rails, whatever. Exactly, Postgres, Rails. And in those situations, it becomes way more complex, right? Because I know if you remember in the Rails development days, like your version of Postgres and like your Rails version and your Ruby version, all these have to like work together. So I guess Mm -hmm. that's where like the whole idea came where like, can I just take a snapshot and freeze the state of the world? And the next time I want to do some operation, I just like, you know, resume that, uh, that, that world and then continue working on. And this isn't, just like a Docker web thing, right? If you think about it, like even in the Android world, like there are containers that have Android pre-installed, right? With all the SDKs pre-installed. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like now that I think about it, it's like our AVD environments, like the virtual devices, like you can basically resume like your emulator at a snapshot, right? I mean, granted that thing doesn't work as well. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, there's different problems there, but uh, that's the idea. That's like the objective, right? Like you want to be able to like resume the state of the world at a specific point of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that was like the problem. And this is where I like really dug into 
like the world of docker and like i was trying to like spin up this exact thing cuz also part of me was kind of being a little cheap <laughs> cuz <laughs> initially to like just prove my point what i did is i just used a basic ruby container and then i would actually in the process install node as like step 1 i would get the right version of like firebase and like my jekyll like installed i would run html like i would install the gems and then i would basically you know run the deployment Uh, command and this worked great the only problem is i didn't want all these installation right i wanted of i wanted to be further down snapshot lane to get like closer to the my desired environment and you might ask well sometimes if it works why do you care i would have left it like that but a it takes a tad bit longer but even that i could like live with it's like you know i don't want to get hit with the circle ci bill cuz like you know i'm kind of cheap that way uh, cuz I basically write maybe one or two or three blog posts a month, uh, so it wouldn't have been that big a problem. But I also, like this is part of like the journey, right? Like I I, I learn in the process of like doing a lot of these things, so that was also the objective. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, before I go further, have, you've worked with Docker a lot too, right? Yeah, yeah, I've worked with it uh, quite a bit. I mean, I work with it almost every day. Oh wow! Okay, so then I definitely have to like hear more about this. Yeah, it's. I mean, what you're explaining is everything. It's you know right on on point there. It's just you have mm-hmm. an environment to to get started up with, and like it's really hard. I know there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are Android developers and are kind of like, "What are you guys talking about? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, why would I need my own environment? I just do my development on my on my machine, and that, that's it." And they're right. Like, this is not really that applicable to a lot of Android folks because. you know you need a heavy duty build environment such mm-hmm. as your you know your big macbook pro or your you know pc desktop or whatever um and there's not really uh containers out there to do that i mean uh, i'd be lying if i said there isn't but it's not a very common practice <laughs> so yeah docker is super powerful uh and it's kind of a, a a big beast when you really start getting into it um like you said you have you can just build your own custom container saying hey this container should have inside this version of ruby it should be running you know alpine linux which is a very mm-hmm. stripped down version of linux um i'm going to need um these particular gems in there i'm going to need uh node installed and i'm mm-hmm. also going to need uh these packages or whatever uh and then you can build that docker can that docker container and then uh push it up to the repository and you can reuse it over and over and over um and then you know it just makes it faster and then you just have an environment that's repeatable and then the nice thing really the in my opinion the nice thing that's really about and this is a generic docker is it i you can just send me your docker file or or whatever or a repo that you have say hey just pull this down and you can basically tell it to run this docker container and it will just download the dependencies that it needs and if everything is built correctly it'll just start running and then you have an environment running on your machine that matches your environment exactly and it's almost like magic right because it's like yeah. you can point and then get to the state of the world like it, it, it's uncanny how easy it makes it which i guess is yeah. why it's like this popular um, dude and it's for if you're doing web development like it's like <laughs> no brainer or web, web anything anything non android or ios related <laughs> it's like i guess probably windows development too so anything that's server side <laughs> i guess i could say is um but even like client side web like mm. all huge like i do i'm putting everything i do right now inside of docker container so i can ship it over 
Uh, and then one of my clients, they pull it down and they're actually on Windows machines, but due to security restrictions, they can't run it. So they have to run it on these internal machines. Then they SSH uh, into those machines so they can work on those machines, but it's all replicable for, through through Docker. Ah, so I was gonna. That was gonna be my follow up question. Like, on you said you use it a lot on your day to day development. So that was my question. Like, how do you use it? Let me try to like recap what you just said. So what you're saying is like with your clients, when you have to like build like say like a Node website or something or like you know something mm-hmm. in Python, uh, you do it all inside a Docker container. You freeze the state of your Docker container and then you basically put it up somewhere, you host it somewhere and then you ask your clients to just like download that Docker container, spin up the environment and then just like boom, run. At a high level, yes. Um, so my ser- the stuff I'm building is much more complex, has mm-hmm. a lot of services involved. For example, I'm running a, a node server, I'm running a React client, I'm running mm. a Hadoop cluster, I'm running a Hadoop name node, I'm running Postgres, I'm running Spark, I'm running uh, five or six different other things that are that need to be running at the same time. Oh, I have to run an LDAP server so mm. we can mock out LDAP communications. Oh, wow. Um, and so what we do is we use Docker Compose. Have you used Docker Compose at all? Yeah, I landed up like looking at it. I, I don't think I use Docker Compose, but yeah, play, what exactly is Docker Compose? So Docker Compose is like literally the magic glue that glues all of your random containers together because a lot of times with a containerized application, you're going to want to have a container that's just for, hey, this just runs my Node API or my Python or my Go API, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that's in there. But most likely your API has to talk to a database somewhere. It could be Postgres, SQL, Mongo, whatever. Mm -hmm. And in the real world, it's probably going to sit on a different server somewhere. And so you want to start simulating that different type of environment. So you're going to have another container that is called, you know, um, let's use Mongo. Uh, It's going to be your Mongo server and Mongo is going to be running. And so you might have a a container for your Node API, a container for your your Mongo uh, database. But now they need to be able to talk to each other. So they kind of need to know some details about each other, right? They need Mm. to know, hey, what's this IP address of this one? Or what's the port number? Or how do I talk to it? Is there a name I can use? When you start doing all that and having um, them communicate with each other, it kind of gets complicated. And that's where Docker Compose kind of comes in here is like this magic glue and says, hey, look, I have this Node API. It's going to be called Node API. I mm-hmm. have a database layer and I'm just going to call it DB and it's actually a Mongo instance. And each one, and it basically points to a directory saying, hey, for this um, API, that is inside of my API directory and that's there's a Docker file in there. And inside of my DB directory, there's another Docker file in there that shows how to build up the DB. The DB. And then I can actually give it a network, some network parameters. Say, hey, this is actually going to run on port 3000 and it's going to have it, I'm going to call this one on the network. So Docker Compose will actually create its own little internalized network structure and say, hey, inside of there, um, I want when one of these containers says, hey, I'm looking for the DB node, um, automatically Docker says, hey, no problem. It name resolves for them internally and says, oh, DB node is actually this one over here. Here's the port, here's the IP for you. So it built its own internal little network together. So you can have all these services running together, talking internally together, but each one of them is running on their own container. Then furthermore, you can actually have it map. So I'll have all my, you know, if it's in a Git repo, I'll have all my source files inside of a folder called source, maybe inside of my API. Mm-hmm. And then inside of my, my Docker compose file, I can say, hey, when this starts up and it mounts and it, the container starts, treat the files that are inside of my local source directory on my computer, map that to an internal drive 
on the actual container. So the container sees the files. Basically, like it's creating a, like a mount drive. Oh. So the container is seeing your local drive, but it just sees it as a folder, and that's where your source folder is. So I can actually develop locally, hit save. The container is already reloaded, and I can just develop locally, but I'm in my container. I hit boom, get commit, push up. It's already there. I was going to ask what the advantage was, but then like you made that clear. So the idea is you can just keep developing and use your local files and it'll keep updating yeah. the Docker container. So it isn't like you have to SSH yourself into this Docker container and then develop no. there and then freeze it. Yeah, you can map the drive and basically say, hey, look here in my local folder in this source directory, I want you to map that one to slash home slash app slash SRC inside the container. So when my application starts and there's basically in Docker, you can say, hey, as soon as this Docker container starts, run this command. I could say, hey, uh, npm start for like a node, node server or whatever. npm start might just look inside of the home slash app slash SRC directory for the index.js file. And it's just going to start that one with node or, or supervisor or whatever. And at that point in time, it's off and running. And if I change that file locally and it's running supervisor, for those that don't know, supervisor watches uh, the files and reloads them um, if they mm. change. If I save a file on my local machine, well, supervisor is actually watching that same file as if it's in its own, you know, it's a, it's a virtual drive basically inside of that Docker container. Said, oh, this file changed, you know, restart the Node app and continue on development. Same thing happens for, you know, uh, a React app, build it the same way, et cetera. Wow, that is fascinating. So I totally did not use Docker Compose. Uh, I basically just used a single container. So yeah, mm -hmm. this is like way more advanced than what I was using, but this sounds amazing. This, like what you mentioned, like with Docker Compose simulating like almost a real world environment where eventually you would just like deploy these on their own services uh, mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. So is Docker Compose, all this is, so Docker is a company basically, right? Like Docker is the name of the company and these mm -hmm. container services that they use is basically their product solution. So is Docker Compose mm -hmm. also something that comes as part of, uh, what Docker the company offers? Like how, 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 where does Docker like stand with these things? Yeah, Docker created Docker Compose and, and I'm reading from the documentation here, but it's basically, it's just a tool for, as it states here, a tool for defining and running multiple container Docker applications. And all it is is um, Docker Compose mm -hmm. is just a, a YAML file, .yml file. And you just basically provide, here's the services, you know, the ports, the volumes, uh, anything like that. And it, it's very, you know, configurable. Mm -hmm. And that's what they recommend you use if you're going to be, you know, building with multiple containers that need to talk to each other. So interesting. If you want the simple version, then, you know, if you only, literally, if you only need something like you have, then cool. You only need one Docker file, but you start getting into that weird situation where you're just like, wow, okay, this node API needs to talk to a RabbitMQ server and then I also, uh, I'm going to have another Python script that's going to read from that RabbitMQ server. Okay, that's going to be in a different container. So then now i got three containers already, you know, and so sense. you can build them like this. And then as each container needs to change, you just have to change that little, you know, that container itself because it's, it's its own individual server and it can be deployed. And then you kind of get into Kubernetes, which is kind of beyond mm -hmm. my realm and stuff like that. Yeah, so you threw a bunch of terms. I just want to make sure, like, because yep. this is the first time you're doing something that's like a little different from Android development. So, yeah. can you tell us what RabbitMQ is? So, like the messaging, the service. Yes, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. RabbitMQ is just like a messaging, you know, uh, a messaging client. So I can drop a uh, like a 
it's a messaging broker basically, and so kind of like a, a message queuing protocol. So it's it's an implementation of AMQP, which is also known as Advanced Message Queuing Protocol. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can take a uh, you send a message, and it, it gets dropped into basically think of like a like a folder, and says, "Hey, something something happened," and it just sits in this folder, and I can throw a million of those messages in there. And then what ends up usually happening is you have some other service sitting mm-hmm. somewhere else, which could be like a web service or a script somewhere. And it's basically going up and, and connecting to that message queue and saying, hey, I'm ready for some more work. And I can kind of just chunk away at this work. Yep. Uh, and so this is the way a lot of these uh, big systems in the world work is that you you have a ton of message queuing going on, sending messages back and forth. Oh, yeah. And most of like yeah the big companies I work for, like always, like typically they have like a RabbitMQ server. Uh, mm-hmm. We have one at your ins- at Instacart. So, well, not one, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> we use Rabbit. Yeah. And I think like yeah. queuing server is like a good way to like, even though it's, yes. their tagline is messaging that just works. I think like, yeah, the mm-hmm. queuing aspect is like the more interesting thing. Uh, so, okay, help me understand this now. You also mentioned Kubernetes, right? I thought Kubernetes was also something to do with containers. So, it, is that not true or is it like a little more involved than that? It's way more involved than something that's, that's that I'm still like a very huge noob on, so I wouldn't be uh, qualified to say exactly uh, its use case. But I know that it is a super complicated. Um, <laughs> but from what I understand, is it's a like a container orchestration system, so it helps you automate your application deployment, scaling, and also the managing of your containers. So one of the benefits of containers is I can actually get out there and say, hey. Here's what my application, my, here's, let's use a front end, right? Um, mm-hmm. An API. Here's what my API server looks like. And then I get it out on my cluster. Maybe it's into a you know, cluster of servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I just had it one server and I put Docker there, and then for some reason, like you said, that uh, application gets really popular because it got slash dotted or, or digged. Mm-hmm. And what that really means for folks out there is that it got posted on like Hacker News or something like that, and it just blew up. Like mm-hmm. everybody's hitting it for whatever reason, and it takes it down. Well, a lot of these orchestration systems uh, like Kubernetes can recognize that and say, hey, if this load is hit within a certain percentage, then I want you to scale up another container uh, horizontally to to handle that traffic and then mm. kind of distribute load, et cetera, across these different environments. Uh, so it kind of helps you orchestrate that behind the scenes so you're not actually sitting back there flipping the switches. All this is happening for you real time uh, handled by like Kubernetes. Very nice. Yeah, that that was a really succinct explanation. Uh, cool, cool. So anyway, uh, going back to what e- eventually I did is I had to create <laughs> a Docker container, so, and now we're in baby land. <laughs> sorry, we went really deep there. <laughs> I don't know, but that's that's great. That's exactly what I want. I mean, this is exactly why I want to talk to you about it because I know you've worked with Docker. What I did eventually was super basic. I tried to create uh, my own Docker container with a specific mm-hmm. version of Ruby and a specific version of Node. How do you yeah. create your Docker containers? Do you install like Docker, like the service, and then run like? Did you just create your containers like that? Can you explain the process of creating your own container? Yeah. So um, depends again, like what I need it for. Like I do run locally. I'm on a Mac, so I have the mm-hmm. Docker application installed, mm-hmm. um, and that allows me to run Docker and so forth. Um, and then at that point, it's, it's just as simple as creating a, a Docker file and understanding what you need mm-hmm. uh, from there. And so you're always going to need some type of base image, and it's going to be you know some type of Linux, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what uh, you'll find 
in a lot of Docker stuff, you'll see the word Alpine. Yep. And Alpine usually means, and this is my understanding, if I'm incorrect, please correct me. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that Alpine means this is the most slimmed down version right. of said technology. Right, right. And um, that was based upon Alpine Linux. And Alpine Linux is a very slimmed down version of Linux. I mean, like, there's literally nothing installed on it. Um, like mm. Wget, I don't even think it's installed on it. Oh, wow, um, I see. So it's like yeah, so you have as to, basic as it gets. Yeah. Now, if you want to go install like Ubuntu or, or whatever, you, you got to go find that container and you just go to, to hub.docker.com to find that. And it'll give you mm-hmm. the you know, kind of a little chunk of you know, one line of code you need to, to put inside of your Docker file for that. Um, and then inside there, you can tell it, um, you know, hey, from this, you know, install with this image, and then I want to use this version of Ruby and this version of Node or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I also want you to install, like you said, um, you can create files, you can run commands inside of the Docker container and everything. Um, so it kind of really depends on what you need, and that's the beauty of it. It's it's all configurable and composable. So uh, based on what you need, you kind of plug it in, um, and depends on your language and your use case, really. So it's kind of the best expression I can really give, unless mm-hmm. you're looking for something else. No, no, that makes sense. Uh, what I eventually ended up doing is I tried installing Docker, but again, I think I was at my parents' place, and like I know the internet connection is not good, so then I was like, ah, I need something easier. Like I don't have like yeah. you know <laughs> the mechanism of like doing this in an easy way. Uh, but I found like so Circle CI in itself. I'll put a link to this. They have like this Docker file wizard thing, and they kind mm-hmm. of make it relatively easy to like string like different things together. I'll, I'll post a link in the show notes. And I yeah. think what they've done is basically I you know, I imagine they see a lot of people with the similar use case that I have. So mm-hmm. what I did is I used like Circle CI service, and eventually I created. And it did, and it's really well. The wizard works pretty well, so you can. It's almost like a WYSIWYG kind of like, well, not a WYSIWYG, but it is like a you. It has like a UI that you can point to the base image, and then it allows you to like run like certain like services that you want to install. You can point to like a Ruby version. You can point to a different Node version, and so I. This is on Circle CI. They have this. Yeah, yeah. They have so, like a little builder. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. Wow. Show you. So it's like circles. Like if you go to their GitHub repository, right? Uh. Circle CI hyphen public slash Docker file wizard. But if you just search for Circle CI uh, Docker file wizard, it basically shows you. So that's like the actual account. But if you have a Circle CI account, they actually have this mechanism of like creating, you know, uh, Docker containers. So that was wow. super useful for me. And I mean, eventually I use that. And they like from soup to nuts, they do like everything. So they'll create the container, you can spin it up. And in Circle CI itself, they run this mechanism of creating and packaging the container and then they deploy it to hub.docker.com. So oh. they do all of this and it was like super, super easy. I don't imagine it's as customizable as you would want for some of the things that you're doing. But if it's just oh, no, simply no. something that's like wiring two services up together, right? Uh, this worked great. And so eventually... I got like my stuff working. So if you go to hub.docker.com slash r slash kaushikgopal slash rubynode, uh, you will find if anyone out there is like desperately looking for oh, a Docker container with Ruby 2.6.5 and node 12.14.0, well, hit me up. I got it on Docker. <laughs> awesome, dude. <laughs> now, on, inside of your Docker thing, are you uh, are you copying files into it? Are you uh, running commands like npm install, or um, what are you doing inside of it? Yeah, so, well, initially I was doing that with the previous container, but like I said, the idea is I don't want to be able, I, like I when this Docker container is spun up, I want it to yeah. literally basically be just 
Jackal build and Firebase yep. push. Like that's the state that I wanted it to be in, right? Okay. Uh, so what I do is I get the right version of Ruby and Node installed. So the Docker container has this pre-installed. But there's also like, beyond that, there's also like installing gems, right? For example, because this is like a Ruby thing, the Jekyll, you install certain gems. So there's a gem file, you do gem yeah. install. And even with Node, once I have Node installed with NPM, I have Firebase, the CLI service installed, NPM installed, so I have to run NPM install. Initially, mm -hmm. I was doing that, but then eventually what you can do with these, uh, with CircleCI is you can, you can obviously save, you can cache things. And mm -hmm. that was actually the second part of the problem. It wasn't very easy for me to figure out how to get the caching thing working, but eventually I did. So what I do is like you spin up the container and you also point to a cache that's saved. And what happens is every time I deploy, like uh, every time my CircleCI runs for my blogging system, it checks to see a specific version of the cache. Uh, and if it finds that version of the cache, then it just literally just like resumes like the service, right? It doesn't try to recreate or like reinstall anything. So eventually, once I got everything working, it is like this very clean flow, right? So I push something, uh, I push a blog post up to GitHub, CircleCI sees the change, pulls my post, it spins up the Docker container, it looks at the cache. Typically, like there's a cache hit, uh, meaning, you know, everything is mm -hmm. working as usual. And then it just literally runs the commands. So I wanted to get it to that cool. point because, again, like if you run a gem install and there's like a bunch of gems, you know, for some, I mean, this doesn't happen that often, but like, you know, if like rubygems.com or something is down, then that fails. Uh, you know, if Node, for some reason, you can't install like Firebase, then that gets to be a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted everything pre-installed so that you're only running the most minimal set of commands that you need to uh for deploying this thing. And so eventually I got it to that point. Uh, it, it was interesting. The caching thing was interesting because I think for, I spent like a good half a day trying to, because I didn't understand how Circle CI has like its like layout directory set up. Uh, so it got, I got to a point where I was like, oh, the cache exists, but it wasn't actually using the cache. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it'd say, oh, cache found using cache, but then it would reinstall like NPM and a lot of these things. And I found that out only later because I was like, this seems a little longer than it should be taking. So then I would like SSH into the box and like look at the logs. And then I was like, wait a minute, this thing is like actually reinstalling everything. It isn't even using the cache. And eventually like what I found out is like, I was not point, I, you know, there's like this weird thing where like the cache is specified to be installed in a certain directory, but then my repository is pulled into a different directory. So I'm running my commands yeah. in this other. So then I have to just be careful about, like once I realized what the problem was, it was easy enough a fix. But yeah, like just debugging that thing was not as straightforward because again, like you're doing all of this and, you know, it's like running on CircleCI. So I had to like SSH into that box every single time and then like realize what was happening. So yeah, that's basically where I landed up eventually. It's cool. You know, the thing I think that is really cool uh, with Docker is when people finally see it is, let's say you're a mobile developer and you have to connect to an API and for some reason you're not able to mock out the API just for whatever weird reason mm -hmm. um, and you have to connect to a staging server and you need to force a particular environmental situation to happen mm -hmm. um, if you have something like docker you can literally pull down the repo mm -hmm. you know docker up you know so you basically says hey docker run uh, mm -hmm. run this you know container and um it starts running and boom, all of a sudden you now have an environment that's running that mimics your API as long as your API developers have built it that way mm. uh, to use Docker. 
that you can just run locally and, and test. And then, hey, I want to go inside of this API endpoint and return a 500 and let me see how it happens to my app then. Mm. You know, and it's really like you can just develop it right then and there because how many times have you had a server-side dev say, well, that's in staging and we can't replicate that or that's just too difficult, you know? Right, right. All the time. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that the replication is like the word, right? I think that's where mm-hmm. you can or you, you can almost like get your environment up. Like you can mimic, you can simulate a very precise environment. And so like a lot of these issues that we run like around configuration, especially like I remember like with Rails and all, like it used to be a big pain in the butt, right? Like Postgres version <sighs> and then like your right Rails version, like your gems, like you have like these weird no-cogary like gems or something that don't like get installed. Right, because it's like a different version, and I actually had the problem with uh, Octopress. Eventually, Octopress, the previous system that uh, the previous blog hosting uh, platform that I was using, yeah. it, it's written off of Jekyll, but it was like pitched as being like a simpler version of uh, Jekyll. But then eventually, what happened is I don't think like they maintained Octopress, and there were certain gems that I needed to be updated, and it just wouldn't work with that version of Octopress, which is why eventually I was like, you know what, I'm throwing the towel in here, and Jekyll is much more like it's more current. So I just like ripped Octopress and used Jekyll. But then again, even then, like you have specific gem versions that it has to work, right? You can't just mm-hmm. use different gems and just install the latest thing and be on your way. It yeah. has to be a specific I'm version. I'm that it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you're lucky, it does. But eventually what happens is somebody updates some gem and that, that throws everything into a loop. So you want it to be very specific, which I think is the point also with like a lot of these Docker things, right? If you're installing Node, if you're installing like these gems, you want everything locked down to a very specific version. So it's like like you can replicate this again, right? So now that I have this working, I honestly don't have to worry about it until I make any major change to the way my like blogging service works, right? Because mm-hmm. I like typically I don't think I'm ever gonna need a different version of Firebase or like, you know, or Ruby at this point. I just want this thing to work. Unless of course there's like some security patch or something and at that point I'll have to like update it. But um, yeah, this I'm really happy with the way this all eventually turned out. And I kind of learned a lot more about Docker than I did know before. Uh, but yeah, this Docker Compose thing is really interesting. I'm very curious to see how, you know, I can like maybe try out something in Docker Compose. The, yeah, the, the the part that I didn't even know at the time that Docker Compose did was that whole, it built its own like name resolution into its own little network. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking right now at one of my, you know, I have a Docker file here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me open it real fast. And this Docker Compose file has uh, a web app, which is Node, has a Hadoop name Node, has a Hadoop server, um, and I was in a database. And so I could actually write stuff to the database and then to Hadoop. Hadoop is kind of like a uh, big data cluster. Mm-hmm. Um, I could write files to Hadoop and stuff like that. Um, and so it was so nice because I could literally just say inside of my application, literally in my application code, mm-hmm. uh, the name of the, uh, like in my connection string to the database, the name of my database is called DB. Mm-hmm. And it would then, when the application starts, you know, what happens by default is it's going to, the app's going to request something from the network called DB. In the first place, it's going to go is up into Docker and it's going to say, hey, I'm in Docker. I'm running in a Compose environment. Is there anything with the name DB? And then mm. Docker Compose goes, hey, yeah, there is actually. We have a container and we call this one DB. Here's all the network details. Here's the IP address. Here's the ports, blah, 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 blah. And then it wow. just resolves it for me. 
that is that's in my code yeah yeah that's like pretty cool so then it makes it one step easier you don't even have to like oh, yeah. worry about how the resolution yeah, I don't even have to worry about it damn yeah, that is that I don't yeah. have to if if I get to the point where you know I've built this and I'm gonna I give this to a client let's let's even take this simpler like I'm building an API for them and a mobile app mm -hmm. I push it out there it's in Docker Compose or whatever they start running into scaling issues, they can now use one of the various scaling solutions that are out there, either Kubernetes or the one from Amazon, I forget what it's called, it's like Elastic Search, or, uh, not Elastic Search, Elastic Load Balancer, I think, or mm -hmm. that's Elastic something, it's not Load Balancer. Yeah, yeah. They have their yeah, own yeah, container yeah, orchestration is, stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Redshift or something like that, maybe, I don't know what the heck it's called, mm -hmm. but Elast they have one at Amazon that's not Kubernetes, and uh, you can use one of theirs, and uh, it just you can connect it to the Docker Compose file, and poof, all of a sudden you're scaling and you really don't have to do too many changes. Yeah, that's like pretty, yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. I'm very interested with that. So what are like some parting messages with Docker? Like, you know, if if I would, like if folks want to like learn how to use Docker, I think this is like a great way to do it. You know, if you have like a blog hosting mm -hmm. thing, starting simple like you know just keep it very simple i'll post like the thing that i use like docker file wizard and the way the circle ci wizard thing works is like pretty cool it's they ask you to clone their uh repository i think this is public so let me see there's no reason i can't just share this so i'll make sure to share this in the show notes but and you can just point to like the image name like you know the version of linux that you were mentioning you know, if you want a MySQL client version, a Postgres version, I think uh, they've chosen like the most common things you would typically want in a container. So mm -hmm. all I did was just like tweak those things and like, you know, add the stuff that I want and uh, you push it up to GitHub and then CircleCI picks it up and it almost runs it runs through its own process. It takes quite some time if you want to create a custom container, at least on CircleCI. Let me see. The archiving, oh geez, it took like about an hour. <laughs> So you want to be patient with this thing. An hour and three minutes is how long it took eventually to build that Docker container. Uh, wow. Yeah, which I imagine is not exactly how long it should take if you do it locally, right? Yeah, that's crazy. That's a long time to build a Docker. What was, what's even in that? There's not much stuff in that container. It was super basic. Uh, but actually, uh, I take that back. Maybe it is like, because what happens is I imagine they're making it easy so they have all these different versions downloaded uh, let me just so the actual docker container compressed the size is where did I see that yeah it's a, it's 500 MB which I know is like way overkill it should, this thing shouldn't be 500 MB right mm -hmm. uh, I just posted yeah I sent you a link of uh, my Docker container, like the the file, basically. So you write it as a circle CI config, but you just point to the different things that you want in here. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Okay, yeah. Docker, Docker, DDT. Oh yeah, I have to look at that. That's weird. Seems odd that would be that big. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe anyway. I should like yeah at some point like pick your brains and try to like build another version of this container that's way more slimmed down and like has exactly just the stuff that I want. Yeah, it might be some just like latent stuff lying around that you don't need. But, you know, mm. if it works right now, then that's kind of the beauty of it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, this thing works great. I've pushed like a post or two with this. And, you know, it's 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 really nice because in, in the end, I'm just like git push uh, to my GitHub blog. Uh, sorry, my blah, my <laughs> GitHub repo that holds the blog posts. And it just takes over from there. It's like all automated. So that worked pretty well. That's cool, man. That's awesome. 
So I think that's, like you said, it's a good idea to start with something simple and small. If you're looking for a full, in-depth, like uh, soup to nuts, uh, Docker and Kubernetes example, I mean, or, or course, um, I highly recommend, there's one on Udemy, which I'll link to. It's been taken by over 104,000 people. Um, it's called Docker. Yeah, it's huge. It's uh, Docker and Kubernetes: The Complete Guide. It's over 21 hours of content. Um, yeah. Complete transparency. I got to about halfway through it, um, mm-hmm. halfway, a little over halfway through, and then I got pulled into a bunch of client work, and I've returned mm-hmm. to it since. But when I was halfway through, I was super productive inside of Docker and Docker Compose. Like I was flying through stuff, so mm-hmm. it felt like a second language to me only being halfway through the course at that point. Wow, and they teach you how to yeah, they teach you how to learn Docker from scratch with no previous experience, how to build CI and CD pipelines with GitHub mm-hmm. Travis and AWS, uh, how to deploy your code when it's pushed to GitHub, all different kinds of stuff like that. And Kubernetes too. Oh damn, this is exactly what I needed. <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> now that I think about it, I was like, oh man, instead of me like furiously Googling and trying to figure out these things on my own, I should have just taken this course and it would have been pretty easy. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I don't know what it was at the time. I might have got it on sale for like ten bucks, but but whatever the, uh, yeah. the price is at this point in time, it's it's kind of a no brainer. It's yeah, it's still it's twelve dollars right now. Two days yeah. left at this price. Normally ninety nine. So hopefully, when you guys hear this, they're still on sale because I think it was on sale for me. If not, it always goes on sale. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's like Udemy's thing, right? Like they always price it at something crazy. But I've always seen these courses at a hundred dollars but like they're discounted or maybe you know i've just been lucky but yeah know. that's how the udemy does a lot of stuff is with they you know they do a lot of price anchoring they'll set prices mm. so high and then hey look you get 88 percent off and then <laughs> yeah. half, half of that or 40 percent of that goes to the instructor you know and they're making four bucks per course it's it's a oh, shame oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on it that's yeah I know. I mean, you would know a thing or two about, like, you know, how online screencasting and like tutorials. Yeah. Work. Sometimes I sometimes I practice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a, that's the best place for, that I can recommend to go get it checked out. And then, of course, uh, as with anything, once you see it, go do it. Um, just practice mm-hmm. it. And if you're not a, a server developer, um, but you would like to understand it better, just build a simple little node app that returns some JSON. And that's really easy. You can just look up, you know, node API mm-hmm. on Google and there's like a 20 minute tutorial. Uh, build that and put that into into Docker and then fire it up. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just going to teach you a ton and you're going to learn a ton about the environment. And then it's going to kind of open your mind up to what's what else is possible out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but like a framework, a JavaScript framework I've been wanting to like look into is Vue.js. As yeah. in B U E dot J S. Yep. Uh, it's pretty cool. It was started by, I mean, actually, I think it was like the New York Times, like a person who is a semi journalist tech, like in tech, basically, they wanted to build a very specific version of the New York Times website. Because, uh, like, you know, with like graphics and like it had all kinds of crazy sort of like animations and stuff. And at the time, he wanted to use something like React, but uh, or maybe I'm getting the story wrong, but I definitely know it was like it spun off out of a requirement from New York Times. And I've looked at this thing and it's like pretty cool. I'll I'll throw that in there too. So my next project is going to be, okay, I'm going to try and like get Vue.js working on a Docker container. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, you'll be able to do it, man. It's uh, Vue is really cool. 
Uh, I've uh, I play with it. I'm a I'm a React guy, but uh, ah. I've thought about using. Uh, I actually might end up using Vue on a different project just because of the, and because of how better it will fit into the stack versus React. So, but we'll see. But Vue is great. It's a very you know, put your code in there and works inside of JavaScript and HTML and all kinds of fun stuff. All right, man. This was fun. Thank you for your Docker knowledge. I have <laughs> a lot of homework to do and. I will catch you a little later with more Docker stuff. Sounds good, man. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us on this journey. Alrighty. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you in the next episode. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.